What's up, guys? Before we get going this evening, I just want to remind you, podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, I'm glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. Skybox is the inventor of the Skybox Matrix Interval and Advanced Modeling Mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry, along with years of wisdom and experience. Got to check these guys out. They have an NASCAR package, so I'm told. Uh, that's a little bit of an insular joke. I wore my Skybox hat out to the golf course today. It was great. I started telling everyone, what's up, guys? Uh, who is Skybox? Glad you asked. Not really. Uh, maybe yelled it to another group or two around me. Anyway, go check these guys out. They've got a package that's going to fit your price range. NASCAR, they're right in the heat of the season. They were up like 23 units last weekend. I haven't gotten an updated total from Rob yet, mostly because it's probably one in the morning or not probably one in the morning, it is one in the morning, and he is not uh, up crunching the numbers. But you need to go check them out. They're making you money. The U.S. Open package is up and coming. There's been rumors of a Magnolia State parlay that they might be throwing in the mix with the two Mississippians, Wilson Fur and Hayden Buckley, they have, that we have in the field. But you need to go check them out. Hope you cashed in on their Palmetto Championship picks, the replacement for the RBC event at the Congaree this week. They've got a package that's going to fit your price range, whether it's a month-long package, a week-long package, you can do daily passes. Whatever sets of picks you want and whatever sport is your cup of tea, I promise you they're going to have a picks package within your price range, whether that be a month, a week, a year, or you can try all sports for a day to get a taste of it. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. I promise you you're just pissing away money if you do not use Skybox Sports Picks. And – use the promo code RIPPY, you're going to get 20% off any purchase. If you're into the wagering game, you're going to want to check out Skybox. They're going to make you some money, I promise. So go check them out. Podcast also brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Go see Greg. I'm sure we'll be getting up a couple more grill corners, a couple more horse corners for the summer's over because it's about to be a uh, long summer before we get to the uh, – to football, I guess, being relevant again. Check them out, though. If you're a subscriber to the Rippy Rights newsletter, not only do you get a 16-ounce prime strip for 10 bucks and any second and third 16-ounce prime strip you buy for 15 bucks and fourth and fifth, however many you want to buy after that, you also get 5 bucks off any sausage. And all you have to do is go subscribe to the Rippy Rights newsletter. That's rippyrights at substack.com. It's a free newsletter that I send out anywhere between three and five times a week, depending on my work schedule. Some baseball thoughts. There will be a ton of baseball thoughts in the Monday newsletter. Um, maybe that's already been sent out by the time some of you are listening to this. But anyway, you get free meats. What's better than that? Discounted meats. I'll let you decide, but you're going to get spam with my newsletter anyway, in addition to your free meats. Sign up at rippyrights.subtech.com. Really, really appreciate Greg's partnership. This is the obituary to the 2021 Ole Miss Rebels baseball team. Colin Brister and I got into Ole Miss's 16-3 to loss to the Arizona Wildcats. While they probably just were the second best team on the diamond all weekend, and while that doesn't necessarily mean anything in the long run in a vacuum, but obviously you can't view this team in a vacuum given the fact that Mike Bianco has been here 21 years, one trip to Omaha, kind of how the LSU job factors into this. We put a lot of different things in perspective tonight. Um, and before we get into this podcast, and you'll hear me thank everyone at the end, I, I really do want to thank people for listening to this podcast this year. Uh, never in my wildest imagination did I envision uh, this pod growing as quick as it did and joining the Rebel Grove family and all of those things. I'm, I'm super appreciative to everyone who has listened this year 
uh, because like I mentioned, it, it exceeded all my expectations and none of this stuff that happened and all the cool things that happened from the time I texted Colin on a late February night. It was like, Hey man, I'm starting this up. Can you help me out a little bit with some baseball stuff? I never envisioned it would grow into this. So without going fully on my soapbox, thank you all of you out there that have listened. I, I really appreciate it. And I can't tell you how much that means. And, um, cheers to the start of something great. So uh, I think that's what I said in my first newsletter. And uh, this is definitely not the end, but baseball was a big part of this show growing and it is the end of that for the time being. So anyway, without further ado, here's our pod. Let's go. Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up? Happy Sunday. I am Brian Scott Rippy. On the other end of the line, as he always is, is Colin Brister. This is another edition of the Rippy Rights podcast, and Arizona is still scoring. Oh, Ole Miss's season is not – the game is not quite ended. It is pretty much towards the end of this game at this point as of this recording. The Rebels look like they're about to go down with a loss to Arizona in game three of a super regional um, you know, tough one. Mike makes the decision to start Taylor Broadway. We'll get into all that. What's up, man? Oh, not much. I've, I've had better nights. I've had better nights. But I feel like there's a level of clarity, like when I just watch Arizona hit ball after ball that is at their shins into the opposite field gap. It's just like, you know what? They're better than Ole Miss. It is what it is. Sure, man. This offense is probably the I – mean, that's not probably the best in the no. country. I think after watching kind of everyone in the SEC this year having a general idea of, of the landscape of college baseball outside the SEC as well, this is the best offense in the country, and it's one of the best the last five years. You know, Vanderbilt's had some really interesting ones that have uh, won through nine, particularly that 2019 one at the end of the year felt like, good God, where are you getting these guys out? This is up there with that. It's, uh, it's special stuff. So. Look, I get it from an SEC perspective, but I think it's, you know, uh, two Pac-12 teams are about to go to Omaha. Um, one ACC team is in Omaha. Two are playing to go tomorrow. Um, you know, I, I, I think there's a real possibility that these other leagues are really, really good too. Sure. I think that's definitely the possibility. Look what happened in Fayetteville, Arkansas tonight, a team that, you know, lost their first game 21-1. to and, you know, you say it's just one game, but when you lose in a demoralizing, demoralizing fashion like that and then you get two to nothing, to come back and do what they did, it's really special stuff. So, I don't know. It's, uh, I think you're exactly right. I think the other leagues are probably better than maybe some that have been in years past. But, uh, yeah, I just thought it was better than Arizona. I know that's a simplistic way to look at it, but I think it's the truth. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, I think about the third inning when they put up their, like, 10th run. I just thought, wow, Doug McKenzie's really good because uh, that dude went 5.1 and gave up two to these clowns. I don't know how he did it. Um, well, it took him like 48 pitches or 50 pitches to collect four outs in doing it. What sucks is I watched Broadway pitch tonight, and I'm like, he's pitching fine. <laughs> like, he was fine. Was was the best a little bit. Yeah, I mean, to, the everything up until – when he got to five, he, he started to struggle, so I'm sure. But, like, what the, the – in it <laughs> – the run in the first inning was the, the guy hits an opposite field double on a pitch on the outside corner. Um, it's just like – and then, you know, right before the two-run home run, they cap a ball off the end of the bat, get a hit. And I'm just like, I, I don't know what they're supposed to do. It is what it is. Um, they were always going to have to score a ton tonight. Obviously, the offense didn't happen. 
Um, probably that to me. Look, I know, I know obviously you give up whatever they finish with runs-wise, and that's disappointing. Um, but, too, like you don't show up offensively. That, that's got to be the most disappointing part. Ole Miss was always going to have to score tonight, and uh, they just didn't. Um, and we can get it the wide ever, but, you know, they were never going to win a pitcher deal tonight, and uh, the offense just didn't get it done. No, I think that's a great way to describe it, and I think that's exactly the storyline that should be remembered to the end of this season. Uh, the offense was just not good enough, man. The offense, particularly after the, the Saturday game against Georgia, uh, was not very good consistently. They had some spurts in there, right? They were pretty good the Monday against Southern Miss. They were okay-ish that Sunday night, but again, you had two hits over the last five innings or one hit, whatever it was. Didn't really show up after the first inning in this game, and like you mentioned, if Ole Miss was going to come out of this series victorious, they were going to have to win one game in a slugfest, and that just never really happened. They had a really good night against Irvin last night, and credit to them for doing that. They deserve credit for that, but it just hasn't come consistently, right? This series was I hate use, overusing the term microcosm, but this series was kind of a little bit of the last three-ish weeks of this offense in a nutshell, right? It showed up once, and then you wonder where it went after wondering where it had gone the night before they showed up. It just yeah. it wasn't consistent enough. Like you mentioned, they weren't winning a pitcher's duel tonight, and you can get it. we can get into the decision-making in a second. But I think the overarching storyline here is Ole Miss was going to have to have at least one, maybe two heroic performances from this offense to best this Arizona offense, and it simply just didn't happen. So – the the Broadway thing, um, people are, are going to second guess that, and that's fine. Taylor did not have his best. Be- because you've got to when, when the score is 15 to 1, you know, you got to second guess everything. Um, and that's fine. I, I get it. But I, I think what Mike was thinking, and I, and I, I somewhat agree, um, was hey, I'm going to put my best dude on the mound. I'm going to see if I can go get some runs early, maybe get me a six to two lead and see if they freak out a little bit. And uh, it just didn't happen. Uh, Taylor didn't have his best night, and the offense was bad. And this is what you get. This was always possible with this offense from Arizona. It's, one, it's, it's the best offense in the country, and frankly, I've watched a lot of college baseball for the past 10 years, and it might be the best offense I've ever seen. Um, it's ridiculous, man. And, you know, it is what it is. It's unfortunate, and I hate it, and it sucks, and it, you know, you know, keeps marching this postseason thing on, and I get it. But, man, it's it was going to be really hard for a lot of different teams to beat this offense. And uh, it's unfortunate that, that it ended the way it did. Yeah, it really is. And even last night, kind of before we get into this game three, seeing Doug struggle, and it took all of yeah. Doug, like everything he had in him from a stuff perspective, from a competitive perspective, to muster 16 outs against yeah. this crew. I mean, how many times this season have you seen Doug not have it, and then all of a sudden you look up and he's still pitching in the sixth and he gives you six and two-thirds? Like right. I mentioned the other night, I had the note written down a second ago, but I've been qualified because that's just the way this night is going. But I think he required 50 pitches to collect the first four outs, if I'm not mistaken, and it was honestly a damn good effort to get to five and a third like he did you had to know that it was going to take another 13-ish run performance from Ole Miss from an offensive standpoint. Even just watching Doug, not struggle, but hell, man, you the first two innings took an hour and 20 minutes, and 
He didn't allow a run through them. Maybe he allowed the two in the second. I can't remember. They're all running together. You had to know watching your best guy look not pedestrian, not average, but watch him get taxed the way he did just to get to a point that's shorter than you've been accustomed to. You had to know the offense had to be special today by just watching Doug last night, and they weren't. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and when you consider – and I, I get it. Everybody was excited last night. Hey, you get out of you get out of this not using Broadway, not using Doherty, not using Johnson. And it's like, all right, well, we got a fresh bullpen. And, you know, I thought like that too. I was like, hey, you know, I think they've got enough arms to win a slugfest, right? Because how a slugfest usually works is what happened on Monday is you, you score and then you've got the guy out that, you know, gets you two shutdown in-ends and you're able to run off and end it. Um, so I thought Ole Miss had the arms to do that if they were to score. And look, I mean, as we record this, Arizona has 13 runs in the seventh inning. Um, and look, obviously that's <laughs> not breaking news here. That's not good pitching. Um, but Ole Miss was always going to have to probably score double-digit runs tonight to win. Like, I, I didn't – even when they announced Broadway, it's like I, I thought Broadway might could give you five and three, maybe four and three, and then you're just going to have to try to piece together five innings. Like, I did not envision a scenario where the Rebels were going to advance to the College World Series for the first time since 2014 where they scored less than ten runs. Like, that that did not uh, compute with me. And and they didn't. They, did, they didn't get it done offensively. And, look, I know it's really easy when the – when the score is 13 to one um, to look, you know, hey, you've given up this many runs or whatever. And it's, I know it's real easy to look at the uh, pitching, but man, it's, it's the offense for me that, that scores one run um, for an offense that, you know, up until the last weekend of the SEC play was probably one of the best offenses in the country. And for whatever reason, it's, it's just not happening. Um, it just didn't happen in the postseason outside of the game against Southern and, and the second game against Arizona. It's just not been uh, what they needed offensively, and, and, that's pro- and that's why they'll, they'll end their year one game short of Omaha again. Sure, and to, I kind of add on maybe a simplistic way to look at it regarding your point of them having the arms left to win a slugfest. When Austin Miller did what he did last night and was able to finish the game, because for all intents and purposes, that was the only reason to stay up, right? It was like, Okay, let's see if Miller can keep this going, what, like 13-8 where Mike has to use someone else, maybe a Brandon Johnson-ish, something like that. Just, you know, keep things from getting real hairy. And he did a good job, right? They didn't have to use anyone else. He finished the game. And going into the day, particularly even before I saw the Broadway news, but particularly after, I kind of thought the same thing as you. But my mindset was, okay, you've got Broadway, Doherty, and Johnson. And you probably, if you're going to win, going to need to finish the game with that, maybe a little bit of help elsewhere. Having your best – I mean, would you agree that that's the best three arms not named Doug? Tyler Myers is in there somewhere. But yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. I, that, that's just an oversight. Three of the best. That, that, I have more issues, by the way, um, burning Myers when they did than I did starting Broadway tonight. I had no issue starting Broadway tonight. So, obviously, I'm having more issues. I, I did not like what happened Friday with that. You didn't get a ton of value from Tyler Myers this weekend. I didn't like it in the moment. And you mentioned I, I texted you at the time. I was like, what is he doing? And you're like, it's fine unless he extends him. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah, if he'd have thrown 28 pitches, then totally different conversation. But he, he didn't. Sure. And so kind of finishing off that thought is, so when you well, – I thought about that going into today. And whatever order Mike was going to use them in, I thought, particularly with the way this Arizona offense had been, 
okay, they have enough firepower to where if they score six, seven runs, they're in the zone. Like, they're in that zone to where they could finish this off. Never in my mind did I think Ole Miss would be able to win a four to three game or something like that, even though with those, even though they had those arms available. <laughs> just because I kind of looked at what I was watching for two games and kind of everything we did. I didn't, I would admit, I didn't watch very much Pac 12 baseball, but from the little I'd seen of Arizona before that, it just never really computed that they were going to win a four to three game tonight. So even having those arms available, I just thought, okay, that's a plus. Because if it was like, say, just, you know, say they had to use Doherty or something last night or a little bit of Johnson, and it was just like, Doherty, how do you get it to Broadway? Or Johnson, how do you get it to Broadway? I was like, okay, they probably need 12. Having that just kind of shifted my expectations of how many runs it would take, and it was certainly not anything less than six, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's it, – I feel like – I don't feel like people care too much about how the game three played out, right? Like, yeah, they didn't get it done again. And and I get it um, that, you know, you, you look at this team and, and three straight years they've hosted and three straight years they've fallen short of the College World Series. And I, I get that people are going to want to talk about that. I completely understand it. But, man, it's just – it's so hard for me to look out there because in, in 2018, obviously – you know, this it goes to hell on a Monday, and, and that sucks. And then in 2019, what really bothered me more than the Arkansas game three, the Arkansas game three didn't bother me sort of like tonight. The Arkansas game three didn't bother me so much because – or it did bother me because that team had no business being on the road. That that team should have hosted yeah. um, a super regional. And and they, they played a better team, and they lost a better team. But also, if they would have done what they should have done – in the regular season, um, they would have not been playing Arkansas in a game three, if that makes sense. When I look at this team, like, it just sucks because when you talk about losing Gunner and, and you know, Doug missing an SEC start, Chofi missing the pretty much the entire year, and Elko tearing his ACL, and Jerron Ely never taking a at-bat, and Peyton Chatney being out a month, it's like I can't really fault them for being the 12 seed. And they just played a – they lost. Like this, this, this is going to be a hard macro look, right? Because I just, I don't really feel like Mike did a hell of a lot wrong outside of obviously the two mistakes and, and those, those are, those count, but man, it's just hard for me to, to get riled up at, at five when I just look out there. They're better than all this. Yeah. I, I was going to offer kind of the counter to that where the only thing you could really say about it was, Hey, if he doesn't make those two decisions at a and sure. And in Starkville in their 20 and 10, they're probably not playing Arizona at the very least. And they're probably at home at 20 and 10, given what they did in Hoover. And that absolutely counts. But you're, that doesn't diminish your point because but we're in the same in, line in that, of thinking there. Right. But in that same breath, if Mike doesn't get them to rebound after what happens yes. to Gunner, they probably get their ass kicked by Vanderbilt. And they might not win a series at Georgia. Like, it's kind of twofold. Um, and they're probably – like, that if it goes that way, there's a better chance than not you were playing on the road last week. And given their history yeah. doing that, there is no history to go off of, of them making it to this point sure. off of that. And, and you know, so it's a, it's our job to get into it. It's a it's a macro view of the program. But, man, it's it's just so hard for me as I watch the, the final outs here, just looking at this Arizona team. <laughs> Which is better. Um, and I get it. Look, the last two game threes have been atrocious and, and gotten your teeth kicked in each time. I get it. It sucks. Um, but, 
man, I just I don't know what else they could have done. Yeah, and kind of maybe before we get right further into that conversation, let's get into the decision to start Broadway. Um, yeah. Because I actually think this is interesting from a number of different angles. And I actually wrote down, like actual pen and paper, wrote down a few <laughs> thoughts about what I thought about this. Because I had a little – I played golf earlier today, and I had a pretty decent car ride home. And I knew at that point they were starting Broadway. It got announced at some point that they were at well, on the drive. But I was kind of thinking about it just from a – I don't know, not analytical perspective, but from trying to analyze it, like not a numbers perspective, which is kind of what you get at with anal- – like anytime you say uh, from an analytical perspective. I was just trying to think about what I thought about. I, this is probably a prelude to my car ride of me just fumbling over myself. But basically what I was getting at was I enjoyed – one, I thought it was the right decision because going into today, bounce this off of me, play, play along. Who was the best pitcher Ole Miss had available? Hill Broadway. Why would you limit the amount of innings he can pitch? Why would you even bring in the chance of Arizona scoring four or five in the first inning and every time Broadway steps on the mound, your best pitcher, as you just agreed with, on the mound and you're losing? Like, Mike Bianco, it was funny, as bad as the television announcers were this, this they asked it. Did you notice they asked him one question in the, in the mid-game interview? They asked him about the decision to start Broadway. He just said, basically – uh, I would like to fire my best bullet first. We, that's the way we just looked at it. He was our best bullet. Why take the risk of leading in the chamber? And they're like, all right, coach, good luck. Like that, was, that was it. And that may be the perfect way to sum up this whole decision. If you're, if, you know, wherever you find someone tomorrow, whether you're reading the internet or message boards or wherever it may be, the guy criticizing Mike Bianco for starting Taylor Broadway tonight, one, has always been in the anti-Bianco camp, and two, doesn't really have a rebuttal. And his rebuttal is probably going to start Johnson, start Broadway, don't – or sorry, start Johnson, start Doherty, don't start your closer. Look how it went for Bro, uh, Brandon Johnson and Jack Doherty. The result wouldn't have been any different, and you fired the guy you feel better about. I, I don't understand how there's an argument to be made with this decision. Because yeah. the guy's been a college closer for a season after being a position player and a pitcher in junior college – means there's some sort of cap on him. Kevin Copps went seven innings last week, a day after going four and two days after going two. Maybe I had that. Last week? Talk he about went today. eight the third tonight. Or what, yeah. Did he finish the ninth? No, he the got, he got the last two outs, right, or the yeah. last three outs. He went eight. Yeah. So yeah. I, just, I don't have a problem with that. And honest to God, and people aren't going to like me here to this make this case right now, but my final point regarding that was that is absolutely evidence of Mike Bianco becoming more – open-minded, forward-thinking, and involving. He would not have done this four years ago. And people are going to roll their eyes and, I guess, call me a Bianco apologist, which is hilarious given the uh, personal side of things there and professional side, for the lack of a better phrase. There's a reason our most two listen, most listened to two episodes were after Starkville and after A&M. Um, I promise you I'm not a Mike Bianco apologist, but that two things can be true at once. I think that's absolutely evidence of something it, him changing his thinking and not something he would not have done as soon as four years ago. It didn't work, but a bad result does not equal a bad decision. And that's where nuance comes into play. And that's where it's going to be missed in this conversation in the short term. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I, I Sorry, I threw a lot at you. I know my bad. Uh, no, it's, I mean, I completely, I, all right, let's start here. Um, who were the options to start tonight for Ole Miss after last night? Who were your options? 
it's it's really just doing in Broadway, right? I guess you could have started Brandon Johnson, but are you really doing that with a guy? I mean, you could have done you could have done McDaniel. McDaniel was okay, you're right, you're right, that, you're right. That I, that that was so far out of my mind, though that didn't even register. But you're correct. Drew McDaniel was never going to start today. Is that fair? Do you know what they would have done to that kid? They would have. I mean, it would have been just as bad as anybody else. But and it would have happened sooner. <laughs> Look, let's keep this real here. Uh, let me pull up the box score uh, if I can find it. Taylor Broadway went three innings, the first three innings, and gave up three runs. And, uh, you know, Ole Miss's offense had a shot at that point. Like, he was the only – and, I, look, I know his final line wasn't good, but he was the only guy that got any outs with any regular consistency before this thing got out of hand. I mean, they assaulted Doherty and they assaulted Johnson, and I'm not picking on those kids. Uh, they're going to assault a lot of good teams. That's what they've done. Um, and it's just unfortunate. I, I have no issues with starting Broadway. It's exactly what I would have done. What did you, um, what did you call it? I mean, I, I don't want to get you in trouble here, but what did you call it? What did I say? I can't remember. I've sent a lot of text messages today. Yeah, I bet you. <laughs> I, I didn't mean that sarcastically. I was just laughing at myself for recalling, asking you to recall one text you sent me five hours ago. I think you said brilliant. And like yeah. you know, on the surface, that might sound a little strong, but be honest, when you have started hearing that today and whatever, and it ended up happening, you only ruled that out because of who the manager was in his history, right? For no other reason would you have ruled out. And, and I didn't even out. rule it out then Completely. because – because of what has happened the past two weeks when you talk about starting Diamond and then starting the, uh, starting Diamond and then the game against SEMO and then starting Doherty against Southern Miss. Um, so, yeah, once once I heard – I don't know what time, did one thirty or so that, that Broadway was probably going to start tonight, it was like, well, that makes sense. Um, I don't know. It, it went to hell. Um, and I didn't necessarily think Taylor was really bad. I thought I – thought, he was pretty good and made some pretty good out pitches and they fouled the balls off. And, you know, whenever he went over the plate, they crushed it because they're really good. Um, it's the best offense I've ever seen in college baseball. And and I know it may be a little dramatic and, and maybe you can tell me that uh, you've seen it a better one, but I, I off the top of my head cannot recall a better offense than this one. No, I mean, it, it's, it's certainly up there and I haven't watched college baseball, you know, in close depth and particularly not from this vantage point for, for nearly as long. But it, it's certainly up there, man. It just feels exhausting, right? I mean, yeah, there's no break. Yeah, they got four. There's no break. And Doug Nikhazy getting four outs had that had to be the most exhausting four outs of his baseball career to this point. I maybe I'm putting words in his mouth, but they're just really good and they're really relentless. And you're exactly right. In hindsight, you know, Broadway was the only guy that got any outs. So then he Drew McDaniel was now in the game. Yeah, he, he is. Uh, so, we'll, we'll see about that. Maybe maybe he'll get a couple guys out and we'll have people tweet at us about how that should have been the starting. But no oh, one, God, that is not what I need. No, which is what no one was saying a week ago. But you're right. He, you know, in hindsight, he turned out to be the only guy to get out with any regularity, he being Taylor Broadway. So, you know, I mean, I already have a couple people. I'm looking at it tweeting at me right now talking about, like, someone called it a panic move. Uh, someone no, played the Broadway situation. I just don't understand that. What is your counter? If you're mad at Mike Bianco, just admit you don't like Mike Bianco. And, and that's fine. Yeah, you know, that's fine. But if you're criticizing for that decision, you have no actual rational basis for it. Like, there's no way to criticize it, in my opinion. I, he started so, his best bullet early on in the game. Why in the world would you wait until later, particularly given the result? So, like, I was about to say criticizing him is playing the result. 
but is it? No one else got any out. So if you're criticizing him solely for that, and arguably, not arguably, if you're being honest with yourself out there, it's a combination of a lot of different other things. But you're picking the wrong battle there because you don't have a counter argument. If someone can present one to me, I'm all ears, but there's not one out so, there. One of one of my best friends, when when I told him, "Hey, I think it's going to be Broadway," um, texted me. He said, "I don't like it." And this was before the game. He was like, "I don't like it because I think it matters that Jack Doherty has started a game before. I think that's what I do because you're going to use him tonight at some point. Just let him start." Like that guy, I understand. Like, hey, I don't mind people disagreeing with it, but like this, this complete like this is why Ole Miss lost the game. If they don't start Broadway, they have what like who in the world were they going to start tonight I guess unless Doug was going to throw with his right hand that was going to get this offense out with any regularity um it is what it is man I I I just this feels like missing the forest for the trees if you're criticizing the um the move to start Broadway just didn't work out it is what it is I mean two years ago they lose in in Fayetteville Arkansas and I spent a week just thinking shit what if they had pitched Zach Phillips well, I didn't have to spend a week thinking, what if they'd have started Taylor Broadway? They were just going to lose tonight. That's what it was. And I don't I don't like admitting that as much as the next guy. I wanted to go to Omaha. I'd already looked at, you know, uh, what, what, what that process would look like. I, I really wanted to go to Omaha, Nebraska. But at the end of the day, like, I just look at this team, man, and they just weren't good enough to beat Arizona. And that doesn't mean that they're not a really good team. It just means that Arizona's a freak show offensively. Um so I am thankful that, hey, uh, the next week I don't have to wonder about what would have happened if they'd gotten Taylor Broadway in the game earlier. You, you know what was going to happen. T- TB had a tough night. And Arizona took advantage, and, and Ole Miss was going to get beat. Yeah, and not to harp on this too long, because I do also believe, you know, I, I don't want to go on this rant because I've done it so many times, and it's not original, and it's not something that I invented or I thought of, but, right, like – critics on message boards and social media and places like that, it's oftentimes a vocal minority where, you know, this listenership throughout us doing this this year has grown and I'm very appreciative of that. And I just, I say that to say the majority of the people probably listening to this right now probably are like us in to some degree and understand it, whether they necessarily agreed with it or not. And it's the vocal minority that are going to critique Mike for it. And so the last thought I guess I'll offer on this situation and the critics of it there's probably two factions of the guy that's doing this criticism tonight. And one of them is the guy that just doesn't keep up and doesn't understand and is mad that Mike Bianco has been to Omaha once in 21 years. But like the other guy or the guy who's criticizing for starting Broadway now is ultimately playing the result because as I mentioned at the top of this discussion, the knock on Mike Bianco and the warranted criticism about his antiquated baseball philosophy, this is the kind of move I was begging him for three years ago, and he made it. And he's done it all throughout the entire postseason. He started a guy who threw 60 pitches on Friday of a regional in the Monday game when it mattered, and it turned out to be a good decision. He held his ace against a four seed. All of those decisions that you got mad at him for, for you know being too antiquated three, four years ago, he's turned the leap. They just didn't have a good result tonight. And that, to me, is the two factions of the guys criticizing this decision, if that makes, no, if that makes sense at all, uh, sans the lost train of thought in the middle. Um, so, uh, I feel like there's two different conversations here. Um, I've asked repeatedly, 
Because I'll be honest, in, in 05, 06, 09, when Ole Miss loses game three, like, look, I, I was 12, 13, and 15 years old, I believe, uh, maybe 16. So, I don't know, 13, 14, 16, whatever. And I don't remember every in-game decision that Mike Bianco made doing those. I don't. But I've, I've watched the last three. And, and, you know, when we talk about 14 UL – uh, ULL and, and 19 Arkansas and, and 21 Arizona. Obviously, I'm not, you know, tuned in right now, but I don't feel like there's a lot of high leverage decisions to be made right now. Um, in saying that, I, I've, I've struggled with people being able to tell me what Mike has done so blatantly wrong. The Zach Phillips thing, yeah, we, we could have done that, but at the end of the day, Ole Miss scored two runs on that day. Um, so this this. Ole Miss that for losing just to add context to it to those not keeping up as closely. That's starting Zach Phillips over Gunnar Hoagland of Game Three of the Twenty sure. Super. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yes. Um, so there's two different conversations here. People want to do the Mike screws up Game Threes, and I'm like, well, I don't really see that. I just always see them losing them, and I understand. Or they will lost five out of six. Now I get it. I don't think it's a decision making process. I don't think it's that Ole Miss is playing tight. I just think they lose them. And I think that's a conversation to be had. Hey, why can't we win these with any regularity? That's fine. I'm fine with that. I just think that people need to have a reason to blame Mike as to why they lose the games instead of just saying, hey, why do we lose them? The reality is some of it comes down, especially the last two years, to not, you know, you're playing really good teams when you're talking about being the 12 seed. Um you're, you're going to play a fight. Like they've been the 12 to the past two years, and, and you're going to play a good team, and sometimes they're better than you. Um, I, so it's, and I don't know how to answer the question. Look, they, they're losing game threes, and it's a problem. I understand that, but I don't know what the solution is, if that makes sense. Sure. It's like, it's, it's interesting because help me off, off the top of my head. So you lose Texas game three, 0 oh, and 1. Miami, Miami game three zero oh, and two Virginia game three zero oh, and three you win game three and fourteen one and three you lose in nineteen one and four and you lose tonight one five do I have anything missed in there No they lost in oh seven and two Sure so the one and six in supers total one and fives in the game three it's honestly kind of insane that they that they've gone to that many supers and not had a you know more end in game two whether it's successful or not. Okay, so they're one and five in game threes. Yep. It's a combination of the Drew Stubbs making a hell of a play and things just not going right for them in, against Texas in 2005. Yeah. And then the Evan Button play. If both of those things work in Mike Bianco's favor, this is probably not a conversation that you're having. No, but the, no it's not. I'm just saying the problem with it is – is those two things have happened, coupled with the Miami thing and whatever your opinion on that may be, and then coupled with the last two where they're just not good enough. And the timing of the two, they just weren't quite good enough, is not great because they've come sure. in year 19 and year 21. And really year 20 and year 21 or year 19 and 20, cutting sure. out the COVID season. And so – when you just get to the end of the line in a super and you're not good enough and that happens after you're already one and three in those games and that happens after you've only made the College World Series once in 18 years, that's not going to be a satisfactory answer for fans even though yes. it's 
correct one. Yeah, no, I understand it. Look, I, I'm, I'm as frustrated as anyone. Um, and I understand people want answers. Hey, why can't we win these game threes? Um, especially if, you know, you look and start with Lamar and Mississippi State is able to pull it off and go back to the College World Series for three years in a row. I get it. I understand. Um, and I don't know what that answer is. A lot of people are – I mean, let's just be honest. A lot of people are going to clamor for a head coaching change. Um, I'm not. But I, I'm to the point where I can no longer say that that makes no sense. Does that make sense? Like, I think they should keep Mike Bianco. I think, I think if, you know, if it were up to me, Ole Miss's baseball coach in 2022 would be Mike Bianco. Um, obviously, one, it's not up to me. Two, I can't fault the guy that now says, I think we should make a change. I'm not necessarily agreeing with that guy. But two years ago, I said, I think that's silly. Now it's like, I, I got nothing, man. Um, it, you know, you can have that opinion and, and that's, that's yours. And I can't really fight you on it if, if that makes sense. And I don't know. It's, it's a weird place to be. It really, really is a weird place to be because in a nutshell, this was one of his best coaching jobs. It is not his best coaching job because the fact that that's going to make people out there listening that are in the anti Bianco camp roll their eyes. I don't really give a shit. It's true. If you look at this objectively, it's true. The fact that this team was one game away from Omaha after losing a top 12 draft pick in Gunnar Hoagland and after losing their best hitter for a month, then he's still not 100%. He had a bad weekend this weekend. I'm not necessarily just chalking it up to, oh, it's the ACL. That's not necessarily fair, and that's playing the results after he was a monster on it for three weeks. But you lose that guy for a month, and particularly the vocal leadership that he brings for a month. You lose a Max Trophy. You have a couple bad breaks go your way, and this team with – a really, really good starting pitcher, and then two guys, you know, one guy that just never really could get out of his own head and Derek Diamond, who was good at times, and then just kind of a revolving door of, eh, you got a good start from Myers here. I mean, how they started their closer in this game. Like, I, I'm not saying that's the wrong decision, but you get my point. The fact that this team was able to go through all of this and still get one game away from Omaha is uberly impressive because the 19 team was always supposed to be there. It was a weird path because of how they underachieved in the, you know, second third of the season, if you want to call it that. But this team nearly being here is an incredible accomplishment, but it will get lost in the past failures. Sure. Um, it's a uh, good God. Uh, Drew McDaniel did, did not get them out. Um, yeah. It's 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 a twofold conversation, and and I get it. It's it's one worth having right now. Um, let's just I'll put you on the spot since uh, since I can. You can't stop me. What happens? What what? Who do you think a month from today? Or I'll, I'll give you this. Do you think Mike Bianco is the head coach a month from today? You can you you don't have to say who is or who isn't. Just yes or no. If you had to guess. $500 is on the line, yes or not? The one, I can stop you because I'm the one that cuts this, but I'll play along. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'll give you mine if, after yours, if, if that's fair. And we can get it. We're about to get into this anyway. Yeah. I, I lean yes very, yeah. very, very slimly. Honestly, if you want to go 51-49 – but it has absolutely nothing to do with anything that involves 
Well, that's not 100% true. It has absolutely nothing to do with Mike Bianco being fired. Okay, uh, that's that's what I'm getting at. Do, yes, I know. do you think there is a world where Mike Bianco is not welcomed back to Ole Miss next year? Um, no. But okay. there's there's shades of gray to this. Um, okay. No. And let's just go ahead and call it – you know, you can answer. I, I, I lean yes, but I don't feel confident in that at all in the slightest. So, it would so, not affect me either way, honestly. Um, you, you obviously know more about the situation at LSU than I do. So I'm going to say yes just because, you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen at LSU. I, I have no idea. Uh, I have no insight. Um, but I'm just going to say yes because I have a real hard time I'm not saying I know this either because I don't have insight here either. Um, I have a hard time seeing them run off a coach that was one game away from making the College World Series. Maybe that's me. Um, I could be wrong. Um, but, you know, I, I, again, I don't have insight on that. I have no idea what Keith Carter would do. Um, but I just – I don't think it makes I, – I, I wouldn't do it. So, you know, but Keith Carter is a lot smarter and a lot better in his job than I would be. So um, I will say that, yeah, he is the baseball coach. But that, that that's a, another twofold conversation is what would Keith Carter do and also what's up with this LSU opening? Yeah, so that's really the ele- – I mean, not really the elephant in the room. We don't really have elephants in this room. We pretty discuss whatever. So, I, I, yeah, you're exactly right. I, I don't think that Mike Bianco is not the head coach next year because his employment has been terminated at Ole Miss. Let's put it that way. Now, okay. what does that mean? That means I do not believe Mike Bianco – if Mike Bianco is not in the head coach – not the head coach of the Ole Miss Rebels a month from now or two weeks from now, whatever, I do not believe it's because Keith Carter said, you're fired, to quote the former president. Okay. Well, all right, all right. I'm, I'm going to stop you there. Do you think there is – so you don't think – and just clarifying here, you don't think there's any way that Keith Carter – relieves Mike Bianco of his duties next year I I don't and I don't know okay. that. so so here's here's the next question yes is there any world where Keith Carter says go to LSU I don't know I have no idea so, I, 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 don't, I don't maybe may, and again this is us this is listen man this is a grease salesman and a high school teacher and a baseball coach on a podcast <laughs> speculate please do sure. not take this anywhere else I, I no because I don't have any insight on this none I would point you to Chase and Neil. They're great at what sure. they do. Sign up forever. Go today. It's the greatest crap. The newsletter's free. I don't even know how much it is to sign up for their site. Do you know? Like eight ninety nine or something. Okay, sweet. I know they say it's like the cost of a Subway sandwich when I listen to the podcast. Okay, so. it's the great greatest cost of a Subway sandwich of all time. You should absolutely yeah. sign up for it. Those guys dig up information. Those guys sure. are reporters. I am not a reporter anymore. This is just us. So I'm glad we got that out of the way. Yes. I, I do not believe that Keith Carter will say, Hi, Mike, you're fired. Now, you asked it You asked it as, is there any way he tells him to go to LSU? I think there's different ways of doing that without explicitly saying it. Maybe he okay. says – I don't think so. Maybe he says, hey, man, you look great in purple and gold. Uh, honestly, no, I, you know how you say it? You don't know, I can tell you how you say it. Yeah. You, meet with him more, you meet with him more and say, Mike, I'm not extending you. Yes, you do. That's how, that's how you say it. And I'm not saying that's going to happen. But I'm saying if that is what you want, that's how you do it. Yes, and the timing of it, you know, you, you know there is no – it would be – if that's what the move you're trying to make and that's the signal you're trying to give, it would lose all of its luster by letting this LSU flirtation, perusing, whatever you want to call it, play out and then say I'm not extending you. Because, you know, there are times – you know, it, it has happened before. 
I don't remember exactly when it was announced in 19 that he wasn't extended, but I can, I know it was not the day after. It, the it was, it was a while. Yes. It, it ran on for a while because the rumor was out there forever. Correct. And so it would, uh, it, it, it would lose its bite if you're if that's what you're trying to do. If you're trying to wrap up not extending Mike Bianco in a message, it would lose its bite and honestly make the situation a little bit needlessly and to- needlessly toxic by letting the LSU you know perusal for flirtation, whatever you want to call it, him exploring the idea of it. Let that play out. Obviously, it would only matter if he decided to stay. And then say, hey, we're not extending. You know what I mean? I guess if you're trying to package that in a message, and it may never come out this way. Again, we're just speculating. Do you get what I'm getting at, though? If that's a message you're trying to send, don't you send that immediately? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You meet with them tomorrow and say, hey, Mike, we're not extending you. Um, and and I, I'll be honest. I don't – again, I need to – because when I say things, I think people think I have insight that I don't. I don't – and you can correct me if I'm wrong – Regardless of Mike Bianco and LSU, I do not expect his contract to be renewed because, I mean, just from 2019, he lost in a Super Regional game three there, um, kind of in blowout fashion, and you didn't renew him. Why two years later, what what has changed that would make you renew him? So, um, well, okay, I, I, I'll be there. Okay, I, I'm not I'm not, I'm not disagreeing. Um, but context and in the moment and nuance and all of that stuff does matter. You remember at the time, it was probably not warranted for Mike Bianco to not be extended. That's a double negative. But I, I don't necessarily think it was the right move at the time in 19. But do you remember at the time? That's Keith Carter as the interim athletic director. And you're so I, all right. And here's where I'm going to counter you. Go he ahead. Extended the softball coach. Okay, fair. But I don't necessarily know as much about that situation. So that's a fair – that's fair. But in my opinion, it was Keith Carter being the interim guy. You're obviously not firing coaches as the interim athletic director. Your job is to keep this ship uh, – keep this uh, car in between the lines. I think that was maybe the closest thing of a flex or a power move that you could make. Say, I'm not extending him, kind of taking the fans' temperature of things and, you know – I'm not saying he was using that to gun for the permanent job. That's not what I'm getting at. Don't make a mistake about it. I think it was maybe a little bit of an opportunity to say you're capable of making dynamic and tough decisions. Now, who could have seen COVID coming? But the correct way to play this, if you're worried about the money and you're worried about the extension standpoint, think about it from this perspective. Just say he rolls Mike back in 19 because back to four years because he was one game away from Omaha. Then you don't have to roll him back after the COVID thing, right? You just say, hey, man, we're standing pat. But the inverse of it, after not rolling him back in 19 and the way they got started in 2020 and then the season canceling it, it was kind of a weird move not to do it at that point. So hindsight 2020, I'm not knocking the Keith Carter move. But think about it this way. Is this situation any different if he was rolled back in 19, not rolled back in 20 just to say, I know you got off to a great start, but hell, man, we didn't have conference play. Let's just sit. Let's just see how this plays out, and then don't do it this year. And you're down to two. Is it any different at all? Uh, maybe. No, I. I and and so you're asking me, is it any? Because at that point, what you're asking me is, is it financially worth it to fire him? Okay, so and I don't maybe, think but this I'm decision. Not even you that. Do you think this decision to not do it for a second year in a row has more bite to it? To where like you talk about? Oh. Does, okay. does he tell Mike Bianco to go to LSU? Does that carry even more weight? Does, like, does the 
does the hidden message within that, if he's not extending him for a second year in a row, does that, does that, I guess, enhance the message, if that makes sense? Yeah, that's fair. Um, I don't know. I, I think, I think if Mike is told tomorrow afternoon or whatever, and again, I don't know when their meeting will be. I have no idea what Keith Carter thinks of Mike Bianco's job performance or whatever. Um, I do think if you say, hey, uh, we're not extending you, then Mike goes, yo, what, you know, I, I just got, we finished, you know, top six in the country, lost a game through Super Regional, like, what's up? Um, you know, I, so maybe he then considers the LSU job or whatever if he's not already considering it. Um, I don't know. I, I think we talked about this before we were affiliated with Rebel Grove, so I'm, I'm a little weary of talking about it. I think we both agree that Mike is reading more things nowadays. Is that fair? Uh, yes. I don't think he'll be asking Chase and Neil anytime soon if they have a podcast after our okay. about it. I don't think he's going to, if he reads anything after night, like what he reads. Um, so I, I, I think, I don't know. I, I think the LSU thing, the interest is at least going to be real um, for Mike Bianco. I'm not saying he's going to take it. I have no idea if he's going to take it. Um, but I, I don't think that LSU would call him tomorrow and Mike would hang the phone up and say, nope, not interested at all. I'm not saying he'd take it. I'm not saying he wouldn't. Um, I'm not saying he would. I, I don't know. But it is, you know, if you're Mike, just from an educational standpoint or being a, you know, a, an educated human being, like you would be foolish, at least to me, to not take the call when, you know, let's be real. If we look at the message board right now, um, not a lot of people that are happy with Mike Bianco. So um, I think it would be silly on his part to not at least take the call and, and what they have to say. Um, so, you know, I think after what we've heard about the LSU job and read from Kendall and whatever, um, Pat Casey's out, Kevin O'Sullivan's out. I think, you know, uh, Neil and Chase have done a really good job on, on reporting this story. I think it's a logical conclusion that Mike would be next. Um, and, you know, if that's the case, then I think it would be really foolish on Five's part to, to not at least listen to what, what LSU has to say. Yeah, so let's just go ahead and play this out from a hypothetical standpoint because we've already made it completely obvious that everything we say is just complete speculation. If you're Mike Bianco, so, you know, I'm not going to give away what you and Chase have reported because, you know, there's a lot of people that listen to this that uh, don't, like I would assume, don't subscribe to the site. So, again, sure. if you want this information, please go to rebelgrub.com. But Based on their reporting this week, I'll just make it general. This is real. And at a certain point, it becomes a numbers game, right? Kevin O'Sullivan seems to be out. He had the classic weird statement of, like, I am the head coach of Florida. Um, I'm very happy to be the head coach of Florida. Uh-huh. There's probably very many reasons that he should be happy that he's still the head coach of Florida. We won't get into those. Um, <laughs> and then the – the Pat Casey thing, right? That was that actually ever a real thing? I'm not saying it was completely. Yeah, he was in Baton Rouge. It was kind of real. Okay, yeah, but how? There's right. There's difference between real and realistic. Is that fair? Like that? That yeah. guy, he was in Baton Rouge. He was. I, I, have zero so I, I technically, I, I sent an application to the New York Times one time. I I, I, uh, I have zero issues crapping on D1 baseball. Um, so I'll do it again. They got Kendall on that. They sent that name out and tried to get the reaction on that. That's exactly what happened to me. Yeah, so it's it becomes a numbers game, right? Because now kind of the logical candidates with everything being reported, it seems that, you know, Cliff Godwin is very much in the mix. 
obviously the statue, the stature that Mike Bianco has, I guess you could say statue too. There is technically a bust of his face outside the uh, outside Alex Box Stadium. He's holding in high regard, particularly amongst yeah. the older faction of the power brokers there. And why wouldn't he? he? Right? He is he is much more loved by LSU fans than than a lot of Ole Miss fans right now. That's fair, right? Yeah, no kidding. And so, you know, it's 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 a one A one B type of thing. I mean, I I, I don't think we're necess- that's wide enough open out there, right? I'm not spilling any government secrets saying no. that Mike Bianco and Cliff Godwin are kind of the kind of what they have in their sights at this point. Would you be shocked if LSU hired someone that is not named Mike Bianco or Cliff Godwin? Um, on the surface, maybe. But given the way it's played out, and any time you have a split, right? So at first it seemed like the whole Mike, just reading the tea leaves and rumors and what little nuggets were reported, it seemed like the split was like Mike Bianco, Kevin O'Sullivan, and then Cliff Godwin was maybe the uh, compromise candidate, if that makes sense. Sure. With everything that's kind of transpired in the last week, it now seems like it's Mike Bianco, Cliff Godwin. If there's enough of a split there, could a compromise candidate emerge? Maybe. So I guess my answer to that question would be surprised but not shocked. Is that fair? Yeah. Who uh, is that, though? You know this stuff better than I do in terms of just candidates that make sense. If it's not one of them two, who is that? Hey, Josh Holiday at Oklahoma State. Why is it? Why has uh, Patello not been mentioned? I don't know. Um, He's abrasive, man, and you don't – look, I mean, there wasn't much love lost with LSU and Tennessee this week. And I don't, I don't necessarily think the folks at LSU would be a big fan of that guy right now. Um, so, I don't know. <laughs> he makes Omaha two times in three years or something, they probably would be. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. But it doesn't, it doesn't seem like his name has come up there at all. Um, so, we'll see. I, I would be kind of surprised, really surprised at this point, if it's not Mike or Cliff, just from, you know, LSU's got to hire somebody. And, and just my thinking on that is, like, if you're Cliff Godwin, why would you not take that job? Like, all right, I mean, play this out. If you're Godwin, and I don't want to spend a ton of time on him, um, but if you're him, like, and you don't take LSU, if they offer you a job, like, are you, are you literally only waiting on Vanderbilt? Because there's nobody – there's not many better other jobs, bud. Yeah, you're exactly right, because that's kind of been the whole, like, deal is like, uh, scholarship advantages or a place that has – that's really what you're looking at from that guy's perspective, not Cliff Godwin, but just the mid-major guy as a whole, right? Do you want scholarship advantage or, you know, is the next best thing you can get is a place like Ole Miss that has none but a hell of a lot of funding and a hell of a lot of interest, right? Like, if you're a Cliff Godwin and you're at a mid-major school like that, those are the two things you're weighing. In terms of fit, what do you val- not what do you value more? Obviously, the the, the scholarships are going to help you win games yeah. than that, right? But in terms of just like looking at each situation, how much of each part does each have, right? Like, do you have kind of a situation like the Arkansas border states thing uh-huh. and funding? Do you have funding and uh, you know the scholarship thing like LSU? That's kind of what you're looking at. I think that's a great way to put it. Let's do the flip side of that though. So Cliff said his alma mater, and. Uh-huh. I don't know if you saw him after he lost yesterday. He wants to take them to the College World Series. So That's not fake. That, no, that's no, hell no. Fake. And if you've ever talked to Cliff Godwin and you've been around the guy and you like know him a smidgen, that, that him choking up and trying to hold back his emotion when being asked that's that, real. giving the answer to kick down the like, – we're going to kick down the door, I'm just not sure when. That is absolutely real. But there are also other dynamics, um, you know, presumably at play there that – just happen anywhere else. It's the nature of the business. Relationships with 
you know, your superiors, you know, just better career opportunities, not only, you know, that go beyond what you want sentimentally. So, so I'll, ask, I'll ask this on Godwin. Um, well, I'll, I'll let you finish first. Go ahead. Cause, no, cause I've got a question saying, there. No, no, I'll, don't, go ahead. Go ahead. Cause I, we can play this I, out both sides. You're going to ask. So, I mean, I have nothing. I have nothing to do tomorrow, so I can stay up. Well, let's walk down the path where Mike. And again, I have no idea. Mike goes to LSU. Is there any world where Godwin being one in five in super regional games and not really competing in them? And I don't think I put much stock in this at all. But he has. He he's gotten he's gotten boat raced pretty good. Um, his past two super regionals, they've scored two runs in four games. Um, now, granted, it's against four first-round pitchers, and that's not really fair. But is there a, a, a portion of Ole Miss fans that look at that and say, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of happy we got rid of a guy that's lost in Super Regionals, and now we're hiring a guy that didn't win Super Regionals. Again, I don't put a ton of stock in it. I don't put really much at all. But I do think that is a conversation that some will at least have. No, I don't think that's a bad bad discussion to have at all. But I the, the I don't put a ton of stock into it personally either. And honestly – if you just kind of read the the very – I say very little. That's not completely fair. If you kind of read the local press and local maybe temperature around East Carolina, uh-huh. doesn't that seem to be this guy's really good, let's give him what he needs to get over the hump type of thing? Yeah. Some to some I degree. just – my thing is if, you know, we don't, we don't cover East Carolina, but – I don't really know what else you can give him to get over the hump. Like, there, the, what were you going to give him that beat Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker this weekend? Exactly. You know, were you going to give him Chipper good. Jones? Maybe if you gave him them, he could he could beat them. But like outside of that, I don't, I don't know what else they could have done. Exactly. And so I don't put a ton of stock necessarily into that either. Um, I think if that kind of the dominoes fell that way, Ole Miss would. Uh, I think most people would probably accept the Cliff Godwin hire pretty uh, pretty well until he sure. started dropping down bunts. So let's play the other side out of this, out of this though. Mike Bianco. Mm-hmm. He's 21 years into this thing. He has one Omaha trip. He's yeah. one in six in super regionals, one in five in super regional game threes, as we just outlined. If you're him and family ties sentimental aspect aside, if you're just looking at this at a vacuum in a bubble, if you take the LSU job, it's a five six year reset unless it goes yeah. completely south and he's and it, and, and never it won't. stuck it won't right no the argument no. that you know if, if if lsu hires mike bianco and like there's a faction of people that matter there that are detractors of it the argument is the extra scholarships and the extra kind of lsu will win him those games that he hasn't been able to get because there is an argument to be made that he didn't have enough arms and you know yeah you know, miss like the kind of way they structure the recruiting thing, right? You kind of get that big class every couple of years, and then you pick your spots in between. You have a big class every year at LSU if you want. You can get whoever so, when you want. So the argument so, has to be get him over the hump. So let's, you're, uh, if you're looking at Mike, though, that's a five, six-year reset, assuming it's not yeah. a disaster, which we agree it won't be, versus uh, if he doesn't happen to win, if he gets to another super next year and he doesn't have to win another – and he doesn't – happens not to win – another mm-hmm. two out of three, there's a chance they might make a move, right? Yeah. So, if I'm Mike, um, and I, I think this is fair, uh, I don't really think there's many people that would, would disagree with this. Mike's a really good regular season coach, right? That, that, that's fair, right? And he's built a really, really good program. Mm-hmm. 
So if Mike goes, and, and I'm talking as if I'm Mike Bianco, if I go to LSU and I think I'm a really good regular season coach and I have LSU talent, I recruit at an LSU level, I have LSU scholarships, I'm going to consistently go, what, 20 and 10, 21 and 9? Is that, is that fair? Because I think in the reality outside of 2019, he has gotten the most out of the most he could get out of his kids in the regular season. I think that's fair, right? For the last, frankly, since about 2014, he's gotten the most that he could get out of his kids in the regular season. He's going to win 20, 21 games at, at, at LSU and the SEC every year. He's going to be a national seed every year. And Brian, he's gotten to the College World Series one time. Remind me who he played to get to the College World Series. Louisiana Lafayette. Do you know what they did to Louisiana Lafayette in that Super Regional? Do you know how they won it? They back-ended it. They out-talented at ULL. And at some point, if I'm winning 20, 21 games at LSU and I'm the five national seed and I'm playing the 12 in Alex Box Stadium, I'm just going to out-talent somebody. Um, and you can do that there. And, you know, we can talk about postseason or whatever at Ole Miss, it's the reality is look, Mike Bianco should have gone to the College World Series more than one time in 21 years. No doubt. You're not going to convince me otherwise. Um, but it's really hard at Ole Miss to just out talent someone. They did it in 14, and God bless them for it. But at LSU, the opportunity to out talent someone in a two out of three series is is much more abundant. Guys, that's a great way to put it. I think that was a well well stated. And it it again. Given what he's done with what he has and the way he's built this program and the regular season results, that opportunity is also going to be there a lot more. Being the five seed and, like, you know, what's what's the one – it's kind of like AK to a larger degree. When's the last time Mike Bianco's teams have sucked? When has he had a team that just completely sucked? Uh, 17 sucked, but it wasn't all his fault. Uh, no, and they were still a game away from getting in the tournament. 11 was the last team that sucked that shouldn't have sucked. 2011, so 10 years. How many teams has he had that have sucked since he's been here? 2002, 2011, 2017. That's three times in 21 years. His team never suck. They are going to play extremely well in the regular season. 08 underachieved too, but, like, think about that now. 17 out of 21 years? Well, I'm not going to give him 12 and 13. Um, Let's just call it this. 15 out of 21 years, he's gotten pretty much the most out of his regular season. Uh, So, you know, at LSU, that translates to 20 wins instead of 18 at Ole Miss. Because, I mean, let's be real, scholarships are a real thing. And I think that's – that's so people get really pissed off when you talk about scholarships. I think scholarships impact you more um, over the course of 56 games instead of a two out of three series, if that makes sense. Sure. He's going to win more regular season. Gunnar Hoagland, you're better to survive. Yeah. I think he's going to win more regular season games if he went to LSU. Um, and I think that will allow him to out-talent people in the postseason. Um, so, I think I think if you're an Ole Miss fan and you want him to go to LSU, and that's fine. I'm not saying you shouldn't. Um, I think you probably need to get ready for the reality that he's going to do well there. And come postseason time, he may just be able to out-talent people. Yeah, so, that's the case for him going. And that's him. If I'm him, I go. Me too. But guess what? <laughs> One, neither of us are him. No. And two, like, you know, no, that's the whole – that's the – that's kind of the, the the factor here that's making all of this murky, right? Like, reporters that do this full-time still that are very good at their jobs, 
the one constant between everyone that's reported on this story is what? I have no idea if Mike Bianco would take it or how interested he is. He just so, didn't talk to a whole lot of people about that. And by a whole no. lot, I mean absolutely nobody. And so outside of his household. Um, exactly. And good luck. And good luck getting them to talk. Um, so, but that's kind of what makes this a mystery, right? But if you're, you know, we talk about it, everyone thinks, you know, people that don't like him think he's an idiot from a decision making standpoint related to baseball. And I know that probably doesn't necessarily translate to what people think off the field, or maybe they just don't think about it. But he is a fairly rational decision maker for the most part. What's, I'll ask it to you this way before we kind of move on from it. What's the upside of staying at this point? What's the that's a real, that's a really good. Well, I mean, I'll give you some reasons to stay. You've been here twenty one years. Um, your daughter's still in school. It's going into her. You know, she's still at Oxford High School, I believe. Um, and this is home at this point. And at some point, you know, you're making a lot of money to live in a place that you're fairly comfortable with, and you've got your program in place. Um, that's that's the upside. The downside is they might fire your ass next year um, if you don't get to the College World Series, and that's a really tough place to be. I Look, if you've listened to this for a while, you know I have no problem criticizing Mike Bianco. I lost my, my mind um, after what happened in Starville, and I was really pissed off after what happened at A&M. I don't want Ole Miss to have to fire Mike Bianco. I really don't want that. So I hope that if if he does stay, man, I really hope he gets to the College World Series next year. And if he goes to LSU, um, I, I you know I have there's no way I can blame him for making that decision. I mean, look at look. I don't know how much Mike or anybody that knows Mike or talks to Mike or is affiliated with Mike reads message boards. And I'm not blaming the message boards by any stretch of the imagination. I understand the frustration. I get it, but people are not happy with five. And, and I can't really blame him. Um, I, can't, I can't really defend him at this point. So, you know, if I'm him, I see that. Or if somebody that's affiliated with me sees that, I, I really have to think at that point, like especially, you know, when, when those – when, you know, after Matt Luke got fired, when nobody thought he was going to get fired, I really have to think about do I want to continue to work here and take the possibility of getting runoff, which I think is probably not real this year but could be next year. Um, or do I want to go take a job where I know I've got five years and the people down there love me. Like I will be, I, I'm going to be given everything I need to do exactly what I need. Yeah, you're exactly right. You know, until the game start and he loses a midweek game against Selah or something and people are but, like, but now this is important too. You're right, but he's one of them. He I, is. He'll get, he'll get more leash down there. It's the benefit of the doubt. He will get the benefit of the doubt. He's not an outsider. He's, he, he's one of them. He is. And that, that matters. And so, you know, from a decision-making and a career standpoint, every one of your kids has gotten out of, out, out of high school and gone on except for one. And she has yeah. one year left, if I'm not mistaken. Mike Bianco, I don't even know her name, but Mike Bianco's daughter is the only one left. It, it, what's the risk versus reward? You're banking on going to Omaha next year to kind of get, quote-unquote, people off your back. That's not really the right way to describe it, to extend your tenure. No, but it is. Yes, to get, to get the, the monkey off your back and kind of extend your tenure. So you're banking on becoming, be, trying to be one of the remaining eight teams standing and get Ole Miss back to Omaha for a second time in your tenure, tenure 22 years in. And the downside of that is if you don't and things go really bad, you're standing there without a job the next year. And, yes, 
when Mike Bianco gets fired, if he if that ends up happening, if that ends up being his fate in Oxford, Mississippi, he will get another job. But you know what? It won't be. What? He played college baseball. This is kind of the opportunity to leap at it and take it if you want it. And so, you know, again, all speculation. But the way this ended, this seems like if Mike Bianco wants to move on and he wants a fresh start, this does seem like kind of the the perfect mutual breakup where you ask each party and it's like, who broke up with who? And it's like, yeah, we just kind of decided on it. Like, you know, Mike's the person that gets, I guess, credit for it by leaving on his own, but it's kind of like, yeah, we just decided on it. And that brings back up your question of does Keith Carter tell him to take LSU? And I mentioned there's multiple ways to do that. Um, What I do feel pretty good about saying, and this is a halfway, I say halfway, Pretty educated guess on it. Uh, there will be no bidding war for Mike Bianco if LSU makes an offer that's more than what he makes at Ole Miss. There will just not, that will not happen. And that's partially sending a message in its own right, but it's also just being a good athletic director and doing your job well. I'm not entirely sure. Oh, I was if, just saying he's a top six. He, he's paid like a top six coach, and they're a top twenty program. I don't think there would have been. Look, there would have been a little bit. I don't think he would have gotten an out. Nor, uh, or outrageous raise had they won tonight. I think they're kind of capped what they're willing to spend on a head coach in baseball. Yes, there would have been a bump, but it would not have been seismic, and it certainly would not have been reactionary to anything LSU offers, even with the win tonight. No. Do you agree with that? Um, I don't know. So, I don't know how far you want to get into this. Um, I think there's a at least a world where Mike takes this job. I don't think he's – you know, if I had to guess – He's the head coach at Ole Miss next year, but I think, you know, I've been wrong a lot. Uh, I thought Ole Miss was going to win tonight. So, um, shouldn't have. But, you know, if if he does, what's Ole Miss do? And, and, I mean, I know that could take another hour and a half. We don't have that. But at that point, man, it I feel like, you know, there, there's eight different names that people want. It gets – at that point, it gets really weird. Because, you know, the thing's always been um, – Ole Miss could never hire McDonald if they fired Mike. Well, Mike just leaving and taking a better job was never really an option when people discussed that. Which probably changes things. And, you know, it absolutely changes it. Sure. And that's what, you know, we, we do have all summer. I'm, we're going to have to, I'm going to have to come up with content for this podcast all summer. You played a gigantic <laughs> part in that. But uh, when there's no more baseball games, Jess, we're going to have to have a podcast this summer. So we don't have to get like fully into that today. But just a macro thought before we kind of move on, because I have a couple sure. of big picture and maybe some small-ish picture stuff that I want to hit before we get out of here. Are you in the camp? People get mad when I say this sometimes because they don't necessarily listen to the first part of it. Don't you think Ole Miss – like, did you, are you subscribed to thinking of Ole Miss is a bad hire away from becoming Alabama? Because, again, that is bad hire, underlined bad. So if they hire a guy and it doesn't work out and he turns out not to be good for the job and Ole Miss stinks for three, four years – the tradition and the season ticket sales, none of that shit's going to help you win games any quicker. And so that's why I've always been of that opinion. Where do you fall on the margin for error for getting this higher from home run to strikeout? Where, like, how much, how drastic of an effect do you think that will have on the future of this program if there is a, you know, if they are put in that position, if that makes sense? I, I don't think they can be Alabama bad. And when we say Alabama bad, we're talking, what, 2015 to 2019 because they actually got to the tournament this year. What about Tennessee? Um, yeah. Um, I don't think they could ever be – yeah, yeah, I think they could be. I think that's extreme, extreme worst case. 
Sure. Um, but I think I see what what's worst case for me is <laughs> this is going to sound weird. What's worst case for me is the coach that goes fourteen to sixteen or sixteen to fourteen every year. Like, can I fire that guy because he makes NCAA regionals every year? Like, if I got the guy that's going ten and twenty, I just can't his ass. Um, but the guy that's you know hosting once every four years and having a 12 and 18 and maybe a 14 and 16 mixed in there. Like that's the guy that's kind of worst case scenario because you don't know what to do with him. But yeah, I think that if you hired the wrong guy, you could absolutely pull a 10 and 20 and maybe sit there for two years. And then that what becomes interesting with that is, and, and I don't know the answer to this question. If Ole Miss starts losing baseball games, Ole Miss starts pulling 10s and 20s um, in the SEC, what's Swayze look like? Do we still sell that thing out? Because some people argue that, you know, you'll sell that thing out if you go 20 and 36. Maybe you do. Um, and some people say that, that the winning is what sells it out. I, th- I think I tend to agree with that. Um, but I'm, I'm not necessarily saying the other line of thinking is wrong. But, yeah, I think absolutely if you hired the wrong guy, you could look up and pull a 28 and 28, a 12 and 18 and miss the tournament a few years in a row. Absolutely, yeah. So, without going too far into it, because it almost feels like we've, we've made this a formality, uh, which we haven't. I'm happy. No, no, no. No, no like, I, I mean, I think we've both said we, if we had to guess, Mike would be the coach in 2022. Sure. I, look, man, given the five, six years I was on there, I will believe he's not the coach when I see him in another uniform. And then I might ask him to undo his shirt after that to see if there's not something. But, in, in, yeah, like, there was one time, like, people wanted to fire him forever. But there was legitimately one time where that was actually a thought process. That was 19 before Hoover. Yes. And that was real. That was real, real. And you know what? It was real-ish before that 2014 season, but that team ended up being not so good. They didn't, like, fly to the surface of the sun in terms of the regular season. But that team ended up being in the mix, you know, from day one on, that it never got intensified to where when that thing cratered in 19, that was real, real. Yeah. And then yeah. their AD left for the uh, for, for Texas A&M. Calling it up got real the Sunday Mississippi State swept. Yes. And it didn't get much better in the next 10 days after that. Yeah. yeah. So, anyway, this thing, obviously, a few minutes ago, finally came to a conclusion. And before we write off Mike Bianco and hire their next coach, um, you know, Mike's, you know, a couple minutes ago, he was just giving a speech out in the, out in the outfield to his team. He's. This is a sentimental. That's another aspect of it. This. This is a sentimental deal for him. He doesn't talk about teams like he's talked about this one. I mean, he called Doug as good as he's been as as anyone has been since he's been here. He called this team the most resilient group he's ever coached. He said he's never been prouder of this team before. And again, as I've said on previous podcasts, if you're a sports fan, you're probably just sitting there thinking, "Okay, this is what coaches say. It's a platitude and a cliche." Mike Bianco doesn't say stuff like that. He really dislikes comparisons. He really likes dislikes hyperbolic statements about, you know, favorite team, best coaching job, most proud of. You get where I'm going with this. There was a real sentimental attachment with this team in terms of everything they went through and them responding, you know, every time their back was against the wall. You know, this team, and this doesn't change this. This result tonight doesn't change this. Pushed to the brink, this team countered with their biggest punch a lot of the times. They lost Gunnar Hogan for the year, and, you know, they beat a top, you know, two top – not two top 12 picks, literally, but they, they won a series with Jack Ryder and Kumar Rockers, and they went to 
Hoover and gave themselves a chance to win. They won a top-fifth series at Georgia. Like, this team threw its best punch, and I, I don't know how that plays into his job aspect of it, if at all. Maybe I'm just rambling, but I think Mike was a little more attached to this team than he has been in years past is what I'm getting at. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's funny you say that as, as I accidentally hit the Twitter button and I'm watching Tim Elko take a curtain call after hitting a uh, double that I didn't see on live TV. Um, what did you make of that emotion, by the way? Just yeah. in the moment yeah. it's been through the last month? What, are you talking about just as the team in general? or No, Elko, individually. Yeah. Um, yeah, everything that kid's gone through and the work he's put in. and He's probably going to have a surgery in the next week or two that's – it's going to be tough and you know, it sucks. You know, I mean, it's a lot of different things. He's going to finish one game short of the college world series um, for the second time in his career. Um, Yeah. I don't know. It's uh, it, and I, you know, as I watch that, it, it, yeah, it it completely, you know, correlates to what you said that he he loved this team, man. Um, There's been some teams that I don't figure Mike liked a whole lot over his 21 years. And that just comes with the territory. Um, When you have 21 years, there's teams that, you know, for whatever reason, don't figure it out. Don't, you know, do what you need them to do or whatever. Um, I think if you asked him, honestly, this would be his favorite one. And it, it's, look, you know, you can hate Mike Bianco as baseball coach or whatever, but Mike Bianco, the human being, wanted this team to go to Omaha, frankly, because that there are a bunch of really good kids that play really hard and have continued to fight their ass off through some real bull crap. Uh, when you talk about losing Gunner and, and losing Elko for the time they did and losing Chofi and Ely not taking a swing. Um, that's what you want in your baseball team. That's you. That's what, you know, when we talk about toughness, uh, that's what it is. And and he really, really wanted this team to be rewarded with a uh, College World Series trip. And unfortunately, it's it's not going to happen for them. Um, I don't know. It's, uh, it's, it's crazy the conversation we're having because never in a million years did I think that you know, and, and what's funny is if you're a fan of Kentucky or you're a fan of Georgia or you're a fan of whoever that's not Ole Miss or Mississippi State or LSU or Arkansas that's mixed up in all of this, you look at the Ole Miss baseball program and you would never think that two morons on a podcast would be talking about fans wanting him out. And, again, I'm not, discrum- I'm not you, know, you know, disparaging those fans. I get it. But, like, people outside of this, this baseball program and don't follow it on a daily basis don't really comprehend that people don't really like the baseball coach. Yeah, it, it, it is a con- – that's a great – that you encapsulated that greatly because it's it's not invalid, but also from a 10,000-foot no. view, it also seems kind of crazy, right? Because Georgia would yeah. kill for that, right? Kentucky would kill for that kind of consistency. And you know, Georgia's got a lottery program. Yeah. They're, they're 60 miles from Cobb County. Yeah. Like the fact that they suck at baseball, that's a conversation for another day. It's hilarious to me. Maybe they just don't care. Maybe that's it. But this is a place that cares. Anyway, I'm rambling at this but point. But, like, and I, and I want to be clear. I get it. I understand these people. I understand the fans are upset. I'm upset. Um, but it's just crazy that this is the conversation. I get it. It's just also crazy. I think both can be true. Yeah, and so – it's interesting to look at this team, and I've always thought about the Mike Bianco story in chapters. I thought the 19, chapter 19 was maybe one of his most important, or chapter whatever the hell the 19 team was. Maybe that was his 20th. I don't know. You get the point. 
I thought that was one of his most important because it showed a philosophical change in a man and a manager and how he dealt with kids. Yeah. I don't really know where this team and what this chapter is entitled, but it's a shame that it's kind of 19-ish and it's a shame that it didn't get its full due because this was a great coaching job. This was a team that really did not have – a whole lot of business being here at this point, given you have Tim Elko on one ACL, you lose with Gunnar Hoagland, you lose Gunnar Hoagland, I should say. It was really just this whole deal was on the back of Nikhazy and everyone else being good enough from a pitching standpoint, and then you had just enough good offensive days, right? Because there's a world where Ole Miss throws another dud on the Monday uh, against Southern offensively, and you're not even having this conversation. Like, it was Doug – there's a couple other guys, and it was an offense that was good for about 75% of the season. But I guess what I'm trying to get at is, if you're putting a bow on this, don't you think the overarching storyline is the offense kind of vanishing over the last month? I know we hit that at the top of the show, but it really is kind of mystifying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what what uh, yeah. the diagnosis? McCants hit a wall. You know, yeah. Duckhurst wasn't the same guy the last half of the season. Shot hit a stretch where he wasn't very good. He had a better postseason. So, you know, they didn't miss a Brian, beat to agree with Elko went down, but like, what, what would you diagnose it as? So, so you just listed three people. Is, can you, is there any correlation between the three people you just listed? Who did I list? Dunhurst, Pey- Peyton Chatney, Hayden Dunhurst, and TJ McCants. Two of them hit with their left hand, and all three will be back next year. They had never played this long in their life. Okay. That's actually something I had not thought about. Um, I think it wore on him. I think – look, I think you'd be silly if you didn't consider that Hayden Dunhurst was worn out. Um, I think that would be obvious. Kid caught almost every game this year. Um, you know, he, he was worn out. And then, you know, McCants hit the freshman wall and Chatney, uh got a little too, too pull happy. Although Peyton Chatney kind of fixed it when he talked about the regional and the, the super regional. Um yeah, the offense at a wall, and, and that's unfortunate, and it sucks, but it is what it is. Um, I thought the offense, for the most part, when you talk about the totality of the year, was pretty good. And, and you know, it bailed them out and really helped them out when uh, they didn't have much on the mound. And so it's kind of hard to criticize the offense when you talk about, you know, this, this kind of thing happens. You just hope it happens in April and not June. And unfortunately for Ole Miss – it happened in June, and, you know, that sucks, and, and it's a reason they're not in the College World Series. But I think Mike Clement's a, a, a fantastic hitting coach, um, and, and our, you know, I think he did a really good job with his team when you talk about starting the amount of young kids that he did. But, uh, yeah, it's unfortunate that, that they had the offensive performance they did in the first and third games in Arizona. Yeah, and, you know, another part of that is, and I'm not necessarily like, – casting blame or passing it. I'm just kind of diagnosing and kind of looking around a little bit. You had a kid that hit, what? Leatherwood was like 369 a weekend and a half ago in the SEC, and then by the end of the year, he's not hitting against Leatherwood. Yeah, yeah. Um, just kind of think they were trying to figure anything out. I don't know. It's, uh, I, I, you know, I, the lineup never really made sense to me much of the year. But uh, that's okay. Mike's lineups never really make sense to me, and that's fine. Um, he's obviously a lot baseball smarter than I'll ever be. But uh, I don't know. It's uh, the, the the offense fall off was weird in one way, and like I can also explain it in one way. 
when you yeah. talk about guys that have that have never played um, this many baseball games in a year. So I don't know. I, I think it's an offense that's going to be really really good next year. But uh, I don't really have much interest in talking about next year, especially until a lot of things get sorted out. Um, we'll see. But uh, it's uh, I think you know the only discussion right now for this program is, is kind of on the macro view because you know can you can you talk about the offense struggling in the postseason without you know incorporating all the postseason struggles that this this program's gone through. For sure. And so let's get into a little couple individual things. When you talk about not talking about next year, I do have a game that's going to require you to uh, before we get out of here. But uh, last thing on kind of this, this version of the Rebels, uh, presumably this is Doug McKay's final moment yeah. on Michigan. He, he, he basically said that. Oh. His press conference. Doug? Yeah. He, I mean, Suss yeah. asked him about – you know, pitching and, you know, not knowing how many more starts he would get at Ole Miss. And he said, yeah, I kind of – I tried to keep that on the back burner. But, you know, deep back in the back of my mind, you know, I knew that, that I don't have many starts left. Or I'm paraphrasing a little bit. But he, he all but essentially said that, that that was probably going to be it for him. Okay, fair enough. I, I would actually argue that did that even really need to be said. Uh, no, no. Given the way he pitched this year. Uh, I, I was just going to open the floor to you to offer any thoughts you had on Doug Nikhazy. Man, I um, – I had followed this program for a long time. I, you know, I, I, I like actually covered it for, I guess, six years or whatever that was there. I, I know there's been other dudes, but, man, you talk about him. Like that. Fruits and stabilizing two teams. I mean, he single-handedly saved two teams' asses. And you can sit there and make maybe poke holes in that argument, but I don't really give a shit. That 2019 team – is playing postseason baseball on the road if it's not for Doug Nikhazy. And this team is playing postseason baseball on the road if not for Doug Nikhazy, and they're not going anywhere. He single-handedly stabilized two teams that were up shit creek without a paddle for two entirely different reasons, right? This year it was injuries. Last year that team was just kind of, okay, we can't find enough starting pitchers to get outs and give us length. And, oh, by the way, our offense is going to kind of suck midway through the year. And, oh, by the way, we're going to have this stretch where we look like everyone – we look like collectively that, you know, our, our collective pets were shot. Like, he single-handedly stabilized two teams. I, I don't know. I'm going to have to have more time, and I'll probably write about this in the newsletter this week once I have more time to think about it. I don't know how to articulate what he means to this program, but, man, I don't know if there's more of an – there's been a more enjoyable guy to watch for two seasons, and it's a damn shame you didn't get three postseasons with him. Yeah, Um it will bother me, and I'm not blaming anyone here. It will always bother me that and, – and we can do the Pomerantz and the Casey thing. I don't really want to do that because – and I'm not saying that these guys were, were like this, but that kind of feels like the LeBron-MJ thing. Like, what are we really doing at that point? Um, but it will always bother me that the two best pitchers in the history of Ole Miss's program, um, from a statistical standpoint, point Andrew Pomerantz and and Doug Nikhazy never towed the rubber uh in Omaha Nebraska with an Ole Miss jersey on that that will bother me um he's one of the two best to ever do it if I were you did it would be the best but I I don't really care enough to go too deep into that he he's special and and man um he took the mound last night after you know a, a crappy performance and what will always stick with me and and I don't look I was young I was I was in high school when when Palm came through. But what will always stick with me is how well they played when Doug pitched, and that was not a coincidence. Um, 
And I think a little bit of that, and, and you can call me crazy if you want, I think a little bit of starting Broadway tonight was the confidence that they played with when Doug took the mound. They kind of just hoped that would carry over when Taylor took the mound. 100%. Because Taylor's really good too. Um, and, I, you know, I'm running out of adjectives to describe this kid. But uh, for, for two full years and then the half year because of COVID, um, he was a joy to watch. He was one of the best to ever do it, if not the best in, in, in Oxford. And um, it sucks it goes out like this. Um, but, but, man, he was, he was special. And, and that kid's going to – he's going to pitch the big leagues for, for a good while. And, you know, I'm, I'm really glad he went to the University of Mississippi because, uh, you know, like you said, and I'm sure Mike is too, without that kid uh, – two years probably go two totally different directions. Well, you mentioned that, and I'm just looking back through some kind of, you know, newsfeed type stuff as it relates to Twitter. Um, I thought you might find this interesting is presumably this is a quote and Twitter lacks context as it normally does. But Mike apparently had a quote that said, we had a bad, we picked a bad day to not play well. A lot of it has to do with Arizona and it shows you how good Doug Nikhazy is. So he's talking about what shittily happened to them tonight. And at the top of his mind, like to me, Mike Bianco this year has more like readily said with the common man, like people like you and me, not that he cares what any of us think, is thinking, right? Like that was, I mean, I think you tweeted that during the game, right? When everyone was kind of onslaughting Ole Miss in the fourth, everyone was thinking it. It was like, holy shit, Duncan Casey holding this offense down. Um, I mean, that, 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 that's what this speaks to, right? Because Taylor Broadway was Ole Miss's second best gun and he wasn't even that bad, but they got to him. And for Mike to say that, presumably that quote, quote is halfway into context, is 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 kind of nuts, right? And that's probably the perfect encapsulation of Nikhazy. It's 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 crazy, man. And last night, you know, it, it sucks that it probably that was not probably. It sucks that that was his final performance. But isn't it also fitting to where it felt like it was him fighting the five thousand or whatever, yeah. like you know shitty metaphor you want to throw in there it felt like it was him against the world and not that you know his offense picked him up they scored a lot of runs I'm not saying he put the team on his back but in terms of facing that offense they battled and battled and battled and he still kept them in check and honestly that was one of his finest hours and it sucks that it uh you know it didn't result in having another chapter that makes it yeah yeah um you know for for all the talk we have about Mike Bianco um yeah it's 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 hard for me to because that's two totally different things because you talk about these kids man and you're talking about a guy and, and and Doug that goes out on one day's rest and gives you the biggest five outs four outs whatever um of the year to to get you to this weekend um you're talking about a kid Tim Elko that you know not only does he tear his ACL and come back he comes back and plays well like really well um, after, you know, let's be real. Not many kids do what he did the first two years and come back for a third year nowadays. Um, it was a special group of kids. It really, really was. You're talking about a kid in Justin Bench that plays center field. Um, every non-conference game to begin the year. First conference game, kids at third base, and he was spectacular at third base. Um, TJ McCant starts 29 conference games in center field. Kids never played center field in his life. Kel Baker. Um, you know, look, everybody knows Kale has his limitations. The, the kid improved where he could over the year. 
he was a better defensive first baseman the last game of the year than he was when he had to become the starting first baseman. It's it's unfortunate just kind of for all these kids because, man, if they're ever – and you're not rewarded for, for being good kids and doing everything the right way, but if there were ever a group of kids that deserved to be rewarded for uh, being tough and doing things the right way, it was, it was probably this group of kids. Um, unfortunately, that's not what baseball is about. Nope. And or, sports are all about. Sports can be cruel, right? I mean, look at yeah. what Kevin Collins. No, you look at what happened at Fayetteville today. That's Jesus, all. man. Kid was – look, man, you lose – you, people use the word heroic and legendary probably a little too often. That shit that that kid did the last two weeks was legendary, and it sucks that it ended that way for Kevin Cobb. As someone that was rooting heavily against him, I, I, my heart hurt for that kid. Um, he threw, I had to throw 300 pitches in the last seven days, correct? Yeah. Yeah, some, yeah. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Um, that that was also a crime, by the way. But anyways, um, at Keith Law. But, you know, it's – yeah, that's yeah, that's when you talk about sports aren't a movie, right? Like, I wish they were because if they were a movie, this Ole Miss team goes to the College World Series. Um, unfortunately, they're not. And they're played by humans and real people. And uh, Ole Miss will be at home this, this week. And I understand people's frustrations with – with continuing to be home um, and not in Nebraska the third week in June. Before we get out of here, let's do kind of a hybrid. Uh, you want to play who's back next year? We can do that at the surface level. We'll probably have another podcast where we actually see sure. you down with that. Yeah. Seniors that have their COVID option, Hayden Leatherwood. Back. Where's he going? Uh, Kel Baker. Back if Ole Miss has him. Yeah, and I don't know why you wouldn't. I mean, I don't know what he's on scholarship wise, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I, sure, yeah. Maxwell Chofi. Yeah, he's back. Why would you have the Tommy John if you're not coming back? That's what I was thinking too. Tim Elko. Yes, but I'm a I'm concerned, not because I know anything, just because that's real power, man, and uh, it plays. So, someone offers him a lot of money. I mean, I don't know if he'd want to take it or not, but man, he's a stud. So. Yes, but one to keep an eye on. Yes, because if that offer of a lot of money comes, it may be a surprising amount than you would think with a guy that's injured. It's probably not going to be there in that same degree the next so, week. And another thing, another thing that I think people probably need to, recon, or need to consider with Tim, um, he's going to have this surgery now in the next two to three weeks. It's going to be out a while. I don't know if he's ready come February next year. I haven't been told that. I'm just doing some six-month, eight-month math. Uh, he gonna be ready to go come February. It's a good point. Let's uh, obviously we skip over the freshmen. You skip over the sophomores just to make sure because there's no. Well, no, there's no real like. I guess I'm not going COVID sophomore. Chetnier can technically go. Drew McDaniel can technically go. Um, okay, Jack back. Yeah, bench back. Van so Cleve classified as a junior. Yeah, but it's his third year here. He could go. Right. Um, no, no, absolutely. Right. So we're in the juniors now. So bench. Back. Because he still has a year to leverage. Just back. Yeah. Sure. Does that change anything? I guess is what I'm asking. Um. Not with bench. No, and I don't mean that meanly. Like when, and and hopefully he proves me wrong next year. But when I see him, I don't I don't see you know elite MLB prospect. Agree. Uh, <laughs> look, I'm a big J journalist, so I have to ask the question. Gunnar Hoagland and Doug Casey. Come on, man. 
<laughs> I guess someone could dream. Oh, here's a name. Um, this is not this is not a back thing. I, I just forgot. Why don't you just ask me Jackson Job next? No, I was just yeah, exactly. I'm just gonna, this next one. I'm just going to ask you just because I forgot this man existed. Braden Forsythe. I think he was warming up tonight. Uh, I don't they know. They need to get something out of him if he's back, right? Yeah. He'll Kevin, be back, I Kevin, think. Kevin Graham. Uh, yes, but like Elko, that's one to keep an eye on. Agreed. Real power. Brandon Johnson. Yeah, yeah. Here's and, your closure next year. Yeah, I, I actually, I think that's a very, very smart way to put it. Uh, and that's the end of the game because, right, Tyler Myers does not have the extra year of eligibility. Austin Miller does not, and Taylor Broadway does not. Um, we'd be remiss if we probably didn't discuss Taylor Broadway's legacy. He became – they kept – he's the saves leader, correct, in a single season? Correct. You know, in a world where Landon Sims and Kevin Copps get all the publicity, that was a really, really damn good closer in the nation's best conference and. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're always going to have it that way, right? There's going to be the the unsung guy. It's like, you know, there's so much talent in the NBAs these days. Uh, you know, Mike Conley, like, it's like, well, why didn't he make more all-star teams? Well, let's actually go through it. Like, who's on the pecking order above them? Probably argue Landon Sims and Kevin Copps because of their numbers. Pecking order above, the, slightly above. But that doesn't make, that doesn't diminish anything Taylor Broadway did. I guess what I'm getting at is he had an unbelievable year where eight years out of ten, he's not being overshadowed by two other people. Yeah. Um, yeah, completely agree. He, he was a stud, man. Um, his numbers are, you know, I think 3-4 ERA, whatever, that doesn't do it justice. Um, every time he took the ball with the lead late in the game, I thought the game was over. Um, you know, two times I think it blew up on him, but that happens when you're a closer. Um, so, he was – you know, and, and he was he was real comfortable to watch pitch, man, because he didn't walk people. It was it was all strikes all the time. He threw four different pitches into the strike zone. Um, really, really good. Really, really good. And and Ole Miss is gonna have I'm not gonna say trouble, um, because Mike's Mike's shown that, you know, he's he's pretty good at finding closers, but he's one of the better ones to ever do it in Mike's tenure, that's for sure. I think that about wraps it up. I don't think there's really any angle we did not hit. Um, you know, we hit the potential hypothetical of Ole Miss having a new coach. We kind of played out both sides of that. We did the macro, micro of this team. This was a fun team to cover. This was a fun team to be around. Um, yeah. You know, before we get out of here, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts around the SEC? I thought the uh, Vanderbilt result was pretty predictable. You know, I thought Tennessee, yeah. unless you got intoxicated by the storyline, they were so much better. Um, what are your thoughts on what happened in Fayetteville today, man? Because – I don't know. Again, hindsight's twenty twenty. I got some thoughts if you want them. No, I, we look, man. Like you mentioned, we got time. I'll just wear this shit to the office tomorrow. Let's. Hide. All right. Um, so getting into this for the setting up the scene. Oh, Arkansas's down two one. They start Kevin Copps today because they had which is what I would have done. Absolutely, he gives them seven innings where they're down two to one. Eight, eight, eight. Home run to tie it in the eighth. He comes back out and gets three outs in the eighth. Yeah. At that point, I get it. He's your best option. So, I guess someone who would know better than I do, I would defer to you. At what point is too much? At what point are you doing the kid a disservice? Um, because even if that's a starter, a bona fide starter, and you're ace or first-round draft pick that you've, you know, bred to be a starter all year, you got to go with someone else at some point, right? You do. You do. I, I understand what Van Horn was doing. Um, I do. 
but because because I heard in the broadcast yesterday, cops said my arm doesn't get tired. Sometimes my body does. And you're talking to him in between innings, and and I'm fine with with running him out there in the night. I didn't have a problem with it. Um, away from cops was where I really wanted to go with this Arkansas team. Um, at the end of the day, if you look at their numbers, and so what I'm going to say is sounds weird. They just won games. Like, if you look at their stats and their pitching and their bullpen outside of cops, like, how they won games at this rate didn't make any sense. They weren't as good offensively as people thought. Uh, they scored two runs a day in an elimination game. Um, you know, and, and I know Ole Miss didn't have a ton of success offensively today, but nobody proclaimed they were the best offense in America. Um, the past month, and people thought Arkansas's offense was was the best that ever walked on our earth. But, like, if you looked at this team, and this sounds stupid, but all they did was win games. So it doesn't shock me that they had a weekend where that blew up on them. It was impressive that they continued to find different ways to win games. But at some point, like, your numbers are what they say you are. And this was a very, very good baseball team, a top eight baseball team, but I am not shocked that a team that, you know, numbers say they're not the best team in the country um, wasn't able to get it done. Like, that, like I am not shocked at the result that happened in Fayetteville this week. I'm just not. I, this was a very, very good team that had some flaws, and those flaws got exposed. They were able to cover up a lot of those flaws because the kid they brought in and ran into the ground was really freaking good. Absolutely. I, I agree because, I mean, at the end of the day – Talking about most complete team in the SEC, and it probably Tennessee. In Tennessee, in Tennessee, Tennessee, it's absolutely Tennessee. It's not and even all, close. They, and they, so that's a great point with the way you articulated the Arkansas thing, right? Because Tennessee lost three of four to Arkansas this year. But was there ever a moment in this season where you're like, yeah, Tennessee's not as good as Arkansas? Wasn't for me. No, not even no. close. So like. I agree. And if the, the, you talk about the offense, the flip side of it, if you need cops to do what he did the last week just to get you to that point, how in the world does that Arkansas team not have more arms that can get out? That was another detriment, is it not? They used Wicklander to finish the game today now. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, what are we doing? Um, so, What do you make yeah. of the flip side of it? So, like, I, I find this NC State story fascinating. NC State started 1-8 and eight in ACC play. Go all the way, become one of the hottest teams in the country. They lost 21-2 to two on Friday and then got down 2 um, to nothing on Saturday, and they're headed to Omaha. That's un- – whatever you think of that team, they have dudes. That guy that finished off the game for them, holy crap. Oh, man, he's a stud. Um, yeah, so the talk about to mentally, two, that's insane. The 21-2 to two thing was interesting. And maybe it's just me and, and my coach brain thinking here, but um, – so – it was said all week that NC State has three relievers – or, excuse me, three starters and two relievers. They use five guys. So, if that's my team, uh, yeah, I'm going to take a 21-2 to ass-kicking over an 8-6 to six one, you know. Um, so, they got – I'm not going to say lucky that they got the crap kicked out of them, but I don't really think it bothered them that they got the crap kicked out of them because they just kept throwing dudes that they knew couldn't get outs and it was just going to happen and they knew they were saving everything for games too. Like, I don't – think if I'm the NC State shortstop or whatever, like that that was going to bother me. Um, I just think, hey, we're going to save our dudes and try to get after it the next two days. And uh, 
cut it to them. They, uh, they sure enough did. Yeah, because you're exactly right on that because trying to watch, you know, root for that to hurry up so the Ole Miss game wouldn't have the channel debacle was excruciating because, you know, I went after work and watched the game in Dallas, the game one with a buddy on Friday night. And I got to his house, and we sat there for about 10 minutes. I got there in the top of the six with one out. We sat there, no joke, for 25 minutes and then walked to a local establishment up the street. And when we got to the establishment up the street, probably 45, 50 minutes had passed, and it was the bottom of the six with two outs. <laughs> they literally could yeah. not throw the ball over the plate. Yeah, no, they – credit to Avent. He just said, nope, we are done, and we will try again tomorrow. And it worked <laughs> out for him. So, um, it's a good NC State team now. It's a really good NC State team. Um, I said I thought Arkansas was going to win in three. I was happy to be wrong. At least I got something good today. Cliff and uh, Cliff Godwin. And no just not enough, not prayer. Uh, you got a situation brewing Starkville because there's an argument to be made. State's lucky to still be standing for a game three. Yeah. I think State wins game three. Hope I'm I, wrong. I think so, too. But, man, that'll be epic. I don't know how someone that is a neutral observer watches the first two games and say, Mississippi State's better than Notre Dame. Um, no, I think Sims is going to be able to impact the game and, and they'll be able to get out of it. Um, but, like, if you watch the first two games, and I watched all 18 innings of them because, you know, people do the obsessed with State thing or whatever. No, I just like college baseball. I had two TVs watching Arkansas and State at the same time. That game um, was an awesome game, too. That was a great college baseball sure. game. But – State, you know, if, if you're a state fan listening to this and you're going to get offended by me saying they got a little lucky when the, you know, one of the best fielding teams in the country makes four errors, then I'm sorry. But, like, that's reality. You got a little lucky. Um, but that comes with it. And a little luck's going to be probably enough to get on the College World Series. But we'll see. This Notre Dame team's really good. I think they're a little thin on pitching. Um, I think they probably needed to get it done in two. But uh, they, they pushed state to the brink for sure. Stanford goes into Lubbock and rolls them. That was I, I, the most unexpected thing I've seen. I didn't I think Stanford was any good. I think that was probably the most unexpected result of the weekend as well. Um, how in the world do you forecast DBU Virginia game three? That's just a weird. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That, I'll watch, but that's going to be weird. Yes, that entire thing's going to be weird. Uh, I don't think we missed anything else. Did we miss another series? Uh, Tennessee LSU kind of, but it wasn't a series. That was a murder. Yeah, I just thought if, unless you like I mentioned, if you unless you got intoxicated with that storyline, like Tennessee was way way. Worse. I fell into it because I I just I I think when they left Eugene on Monday night, I said I guess the name on the jersey matters, and it <laughs> it doesn't it it doesn't matter. It didn't matter <laughs> to some degree. It does not. So that's probably the end of the line for us tonight. I appreciate you staying up late with me, um, as I have all season. This is uh. You know, we'll have another podcast. We'll we'll do some draft stuff, and we'll kind of get way deeper into who's back next year, and what uh, and into what kind of the twenty twenty two team looks like once we have some more clarity. But at least for a week or two, this is probably the end of the line for us and our baseball shows. Um, man, I I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you doing with this with me twice a week. Um, you know, when I texted you that day, we were right a week into the season, and I was like, "Hey, man, I'm starting a newsletter and a podcast. Like, you want to do some baseball stuff with me?" Um, Never in my wildest dreams did I think it would grow into this in three months. I'm serious. Like, I was just like, okay, I'll just do this. I'm bored being a grease salesman. We'll see where it goes. And, you know, we got about four weeks in. I was like, I think we got something here. And then it just kept escalating um, from there. And so 
I, I really appreciate your time. Um, I know I pay you millions and millions of dollars, but it's not enough <laughs> beyond that. Um, I, I appreciate everyone listening and making this fun for us. Um, it'd be, you know, seeing the listenership grow, right? You know, if no one was listening to this, it wouldn't be nearly as fun. I enjoy talking baseball with you, but kind of seeing this grow into something has been really gratifying. And so I, I guess that's a simultaneous thank you to you and the collective you out there for listening. This has been a hell of a lot of fun. Well, hopefully we don't run all these people off when we're breaking down defensive schematic plans in the next three months. Exactly. So hopefully we don't <laughs> run all these people off. I'm going to have to pull you in for some football stuff anyway, uh, just <laughs> given how our post-game podcast were last year. But uh, I don't know, man. Cheers to uh, maybe this being the start of something we do every year for quite a while now, no matter who's the head coach. Sounds good, my man, for sure. I appreciate it again. Like I mentioned, I can't thank you enough. I can't thank everyone enough for listening out there. This is not the end of the line. We're going to have podcast content throughout the summer, but this is at least for the uh, next little bit, probably the end of me and Colin, uh, you know, blabbering on for two hours every night. So be safe, dude. Get some sleep. I, I really, really appreciate it. Thank you all for listening. And uh, we'll be back on Wednesday with something different. But uh, that is a wrap on the 2021 Ole Miss Rebels. Have a good one, man.